you are listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 125, 125 of the podcast. I'm recording this on Thursday, November 3rd, 2022, and we're looking at the end of the year. We're, we're just weeks away from 2022 uh, being one for the books. But more importantly, uh, maybe maybe more imminent, I should say, than, than the end of the year is the fact that we're entering into the voting, the election cycle here in the U.S. And I say cycle, really, we've been in the cycle. But we're going to vote. It's Thursday. Today we're voting on Tuesday. A lot of people have kind of voted early. But we're going to have an election here on Tuesday coming up. I want to take a minute because uh, last night we had a little dinner party, some couples over. Uh, and the topic of the election came up, and some of the folks at the table were younger, and were just expressing kind of this sense of trying to figure out how to vote, you know, who to vote for, and, and on what values should they vote? How should they make the decision? You know, whereas previous generations probably just lined up according to whatever party uh, their family was a part of. You know, we're Democrats, we're lifelong Democrats, we're lifelong Republicans. You know, we just always vote the ticket. Younger folks are trying to be a little bit more thoughtful. At least some of them are, the ones I'm running into. And they're saying, hey, I I, I got to kind of research this. I, I mean, I, I've heard from young person after young person. And these are people in their 20s, their 30s, expressing this need to to research, to spend the time to know what they're doing before they pull the lever, the figurative lever, uh, for their vote. And I'm, I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed that that People are trying to be thoughtful. Now, of course, not everybody's like that. You know, if you take to social media, you'll see all kinds of just horrible people uh, attacking anyone that doesn't agree with their political position or their political party. There's a lot of party nonsense out there on both sides. There's a lot of ugliness. There's a lot of name calling and trash talking and vilifying and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's disgusting. It just gets so old. But it's refreshing to hear people say, I'm, I'm, my, my wife and I either together or independently are researching. We're trying to figure this out. I'm not sure who I want to vote for. I don't feel like I completely understand their platform, the issues, and, and how I want to cast my vote. That's, that's a fascinating dynamic to run into. Um, now, the, 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 the discussion last night was interesting because... Uh, a couple of folks there go to the same church, and their pastor, I guess maybe the previous Sunday, this last Sunday, gave a message and talked about voting and politics and so on. I, I'm not privy to the, the details, and, and I don't get the sense. In fact, someone made the comment that the pastor seemed to avoid this. I don't get the sense that the pastor was indicating or directing the congregation as to who they should be voting for. Uh, but, but what was interesting is, you know, it sounded like the pastor was trying to equip the congregation to understand that they have to vote through the lens of, I'll say the gospel. I don't know that that's the phrase that, that the pastor used, but you've got to vote kind of through this lens of being a believer and the truth of the gospel. You have to kind of take that not just into consideration as one of your many criteria, but you need to pull the lever solely, mainly, mainly through this lens of your faith in Christ. I thought that's that's really interesting. So I asked the question, um, what does that mean? Like, if I'm looking at the gospel, then 
what does that mean? Because the gospel can mean so many things to so many people, unfortunately. I mean, it's, you know, faith is one of these things, the transcendent is one of these things that, that I mean, you look at Christianity as an example. You know, we, we tend to talk about, well, you know, the, the Muslims, the Muslims, you know, fill in the blank. They're great people, they're bad people, whatever. But we make these broad statements. Well, well, there is no such thing as the Muslims. That's an abstraction. The fact of the matter is there's a faith, of Islamic faith, that has many variations, many different kinds of applications and practices, many different groups within it. Some of them, as we know, violent. Some of them pacifist, surprisingly. And these groups actually war with each other within Islam. So we talk about the Muslims, and then it just kind of becomes this blanket statement that, that all Muslims are a certain way, which is not necessarily true. Now, there are certain uh, characteristics that you can assign, like, for instance, you know, Islam is not polytheistic, it's monotheistic. Uh, you can say things like Islam is very um, this-worldly in the sense that, it, that it's politically active. Uh, you know, there's certain things you could say, but, but, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of nuances and variations within Islam. Well, I would argue even more so in Christianity. So you go, well, you know, you, if you're a Christian and you're voting, you should let the gospel inform the way you vote. Well, I can tell you about hundreds, if I had to sit and think, I mean, hundreds is a lot, but tens, <laughs> out of my head, I'm sure a scholar could do a lot more, of variations within the Christian faith that interpret even the gospel differently. Meaning like, you know, you've got, you've got evangelicals, you've got fundamentalists, you've got puritanistic uh, Quaker style uh, Christians, you, you've got um, like mainline church, like Episcopalian, you've got high church, low church, then you've got Catholics, and within Catholicism there are differences. The Catholic church is not very unified on what it thinks or believes right now. Uh, you, you've got the, the, the Orthodox churches, the Greek Orthodox, the Ukrainian Orthodox, uh, the Russian Orthodox. You've got these various Orthodox churches. I mean, you, Christianity comes in all kinds of flavors and in all kinds of different belief sets. Even within the quote-unquote evangelical world, you will get people that are very um, literal in the way that they approach the Bible. No such thing as, you know, evolution's fake, blah, blah, blah. And, and on the other end of the spectrum, very progressive, meaning, yes, uh, the, the fossil record shows us that evolution's a thing, and we just believe God's behind that, but evolution's real and that progression is real. And we're not even sure that Jesus is really coming back. We think that we're supposed to work towards making, you know, heaven on earth. There's, there's groups that think that. Other groups are like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Uh, Jesus is going to come back uh, physically and establish his kingdom. Until then, it's just a mess. And there's just all these different ways to approach the faith. So when you, when you, and, and th I'm not addressing what this pastor said I'm using as a launching off point, but this concept that, you, that one, that you and I should use our faith to inform how we vote, it leaves a lot to be. It, it, it leaves a lot to be filled in. There's a lot there that you just. You, a lot of unpacking that has to happen. Now, now, listeners, if you're not a believer, I think this is still a good discussion to listen to uh, to, to, to to partake in because I think this can help you understand something a little deeper about um, about society and culture and even maybe conservatism uh, that, that you might find refreshing. So 
you don't have to be a Christian to get any value out of this. I, I, I mean, look, you don't want to listen. That's that's your business. Um, but it, we are coming up on this, and I want to unpack this a little bit. It doesn't need to be a long discussion, but I want to unpack this a little bit. So, so that was the the discussion. Now, I, I successfully put a wet blanket on the discussion. I think because uh, not only did I ask that question, like, what does that mean to look at it through the lens of the gospel? Like, how do you do that applied? What does that look like? And and I don't know that we were able to get that easily or quickly. And how could you? I mean, it's almost an unfair question because it's like, well, you know, there's like, no matter what answer someone gives, it's going to be easy. Well, I don't agree with that. Or that's what about this? Or what about that? But the way I I think I put a wet blanket on because I I started mumbling about uh, Hegel and his idea that the, 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 you know, the state is essentially the manifestation of God and all that. I was just like, yeah, we just moved on to talking about ice cream. So um, a good time was had by all. Uh, uh, thanks, Mike. But but I want to unpack that. I've been thinking about this discussion since last night, and I think it's important to talk about. Now, if you look at um, all of this, you, you would quickly say, okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna cast my vote according to Christianity. The kind of easy answer, the the I, I, I'm going to say almost lazy. I know that sounds like I'm cr- critical, but it, it is. There's a laziness to this. Is to say, well, Jesus is loving, and so Jesus is this nice guy. He's loving, but he never did anything wrong. He's almost kind of effeminate. Uh, he died on the cross. You see these kind of depictions of him in sculpture and paintings. This very emaciated, pale, um, almost. Um, feminine figure hanging on that cross, uh, dying for us, this innocent, weak little lamb that was killed. Uh, you know, he went around, he healed people. He was loving to everybody. He, um, you know, put the little children on his lap. It's like Jesus meek and mild. And so the easy kind of lazy way to approach this is to say, well, Jesus was this way. So I'm going to find the candidates in this race that seem to be the most loving, the most kind to the weak, the most giving to the poor. You're going to look for someone that that is is the is the is the most feminine in a way. I mean, I mean, if, bear with me, I'm, ladies, and I'm not trying to tell you that feminine good, uh, bad, you know, masculine good. I'm just saying there's this effeminate, weak version of Jesus. It's it, it's a it's a, a pseudo Jesus. That's not necessarily Jesus, but it's a pseudo Jesus that we've constructed, and often that Jesus is a manifestation of what we think uh, Jesus should be like. So we're saying to ourselves, well, golly, if I were so good and perfect where how would I behave? Well, I'd be gentle, I'd be kind, I'd feed the poor, you know, I, I would I would hold those big evil people, those powerful monsters, I'd hold them accountable, I'd protect the weak, I'd heal the sick, and so on. Uh, and a lot of those things, healing the sick and feeding the poor and all that, that Jesus did that. You can't argue that he didn't do that. Uh, but, but, but when you focus on just one aspect of Jesus's character, you, you, you tend to get a distorted view. But so I think the easy approach to this for most folks is to go, well, I'm just going to try to find the candidate that is the most, the, that's the nicest and that has the platform and the programs and the plans to care for the weak and the poor and the infirm. 
Now, typically that's going to be a Democrat. The way that they position themselves, they position themselves around caring for minorities, caring for the marginalized, um, you know, enriching, um, at least not enriching, but meeting the material needs of the poor and the suffering and put together programs that care for the sick and people that have been dealt um, a, a bum hand in life, the short stick, if you will. This tends to be more the Democrat platform. Now, I guess uh, if you really want to be sophisticated, that was going to be your gambit. You're like, look, I'm just going to find the guy or gal for each one that seems to be the most loving and giving because that's going to be the most like Jesus. That's who I'm voting for. I guess to really be thorough in that, you would then have to ask, okay, well, what is their track record in delivering those things? It's one thing to get up on a stage and say, you know, my heart uh, beats lumpy custard for everybody. I just want to give everyone a big hug. Uh, I do want to give them a hug with the rich folks' tax dollars, but I want to give everybody a hug. You'd have to look and see, did this person really deliver? Did they somehow make lives better? Did they put programs in place that, that, that cared for the poor, that lifted them up and out? Do they have true data that shows, like, we've done this, we've moved the needle? Because, because if you want to take this tack, Jesus, meek, and mild, let me find the candidate that is the most like this meek and mild picture of Jesus I have in my mind, then you at least have to look, is this person capable? Uh, have they been faithful? Do they have the receipts to show that, yeah, I've done this before, so if you vote for me, this is a good vote? Because anybody can say that they're going to do this. So that's one approach. Now, what's interesting, uh, you know, is this other approach, which is, you know, and it gets a bum rap for, for, for good reason, which is more like, hey, uh, God bless America. America's God's country. We're blessed and we've turned our back on God. Uh, so I'm going to, and, and that's why we're having trouble right now. So I'm going to vote for the candidate that's going to get us, you know, turned back towards God. But the, but the reason for doing that is not so much I want to see the manifestation of God's kingdom. It's really for the empowerment, the reestablishment, the rejuvenation uh, of America as a strong, muscular, successful society. So it's this, this desire to be thriving, to win, to be strong. It's really about America. So it's almost, um, you know, you, there's this Old Testament uh uh, passage, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, uh, I will be their God. You know, it's like essentially if you bow down and humble yourselves, I'll save you. I'll, I'll set you back up. I'll get you strong again. But, but that play is, 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 is more about our country and our society than it is about the, the kingdom of God. So, so you have these two different approaches. Now, when you look at politics, I mean, you have all kinds of approaches too. And, and you could make the argument, um, hey, look, I care about the poor just like anybody else. I'm not a Democrat. You know, you could say, I believe in all this stuff. I want to see it happen. But my belief is the way it happens is through the free market. If we can get more free market activities going on, less government regulation, you know, if we could just get the government to stop taking my money, and if people would just do this and this, if we get the government out of the way and we stop all this weird stuff going on in our country, then poor people will do better. And, and you look, I, I think in some ways, I'm, again, I'm not making this argument, in some ways you could make that argument though. I mean, typically, if, even if you look at Trump, if you look at Trump, I mean, probably the most um, controversial 
right wing, if you want to call him. He was more of a populist, if you're going to be honest. He really wasn't a right wing, but he was a populist. But the, mo- the most um, controversial Republican president in living memory, uh, I can't speak to maybe others that, you know, from way back in Dickety-Doo that maybe were also <laughs> like Trump. But given our social uh, media and the availability of the image and sound and all that and tweets and whatnot, I mean, Trump really, I mean, he, he, he captivated the world with his shenanigans. But the point being, even if you look at that, uh, Trump was very successful. Blacks had the lowest unemployment rate. Uh, Hispanics were, were doing well. Like, every, like all the minority groups were thriving under the Trump presidency. Now, he had a phenomenal economy. Now, whether he gets to take credit for that or not, you can argue all you want, but but the fa- at the end of the day, Trump did pros- proceed, proside rather, proside um, over a phenomenal economy, uh, low inflation, low interest rates, and he inherited some of those. Uh, but a phenomenal booming economy, lots of confidence, lots of stuff going on, lots of people getting hired, et cetera, until COVID hit, you know, and then and then the way that uh, we in the world responded to COVID obviously uh, turned that upside down. But where I'm going with that is to say you could make the argument that free market economics, if that's really what Trump was all about, I don't know that he necessarily was, but free market economics is a way to enrich the poor, help them come out of the bondage that they feel, uh, make a better life accessible for more people. So so, so you, could, you could say, hey, look, I'm a Christian. I want to vote also to help people's lives get better. I just don't believe that the Democrats' approach to solving the problem is the right one, even though they use the language and positioning uh, that makes them sound like they're more loving. I think the more loving thing to do is, is you know, a free market and then let that uh, rising tide raise all boats, as they say. And, and I think that, you know, these are both legitimate ways to think, they are legitimate ways to think about things. doesn't mean necessarily that they're both right, but they're legitimate ways to think. And I think you could make that argument. And, and I think this is more of a tough love argument. You know, hey, look, um, um, this is going to hurt for a little while. It's like a doctor. Doctor, if, if you've got um, a, a terrible thing, let's say you've got a tumor, the doctor is going to do something horrible to you. He, he is going to do something horrible horrible to you. It's, it's not going to be good. It's going to be painful. It's going to be, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt. He's going to hurt your body. He's going to take you to the brink of death to remove that thing from you. And you're going to be sore. You're going to have to heal up. There's going to be all kinds of post-op treatments that are going to be miserable. But the reason he's doing that is so that you can live in the future and have a full life. So, so sometimes you have to, if you love someone or something, you actually have to do some hard things uh, to and for them so that they can thrive later on. Okay, so those are a couple of the ways to look at it. I want to take a third approach here um, that I think is, is, is more sound, let's say. Now, in both of those approaches, especially the Democrat kind of approach, the Jesus meek and mild, you have to ask a specific question. You have to ask a question, and that question is, what is the role of the state? You see, we make assumptions. We go, look, I want to be the most Christ-like. I want to be the most Christian. Who is the, who is the party candidate, individual, whatever, that is the most Jesus-like? Who says the things and promises to do the things that are more Jesus-y? 
And then you go, well, I, I want to vote. I, 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 I don't like the Democrats, you know, but I'm going to vote for this Democrat. Or I love the Democrats, and this is my justification for voting for them. But you have to ask the question, what is the role of the state in the, in the management, in the parsing, the delivering out of the kingdom of God? Is it the state's job? Should the state be involved? And to what degree in mediating the reality of God's kingdom, meaning the caring for the poor, the making right the things that are wrong, uh, you know, defending the defenseless, healing the sick, and so on. How much of the state should be involved in this? Does the state play a role? And we, we have a bit of an assumption. We have become societally much more of a welfare state society. And that just is a fact. That's not meant to be a dig. It is a little pejorative, that statement. But, but even the governments that, that are doing this know that they call themselves, we're a welfare state. They don't necessarily publicize it, but they understand that's the philosophy behind it, which is the state's job is to, is to provide for the welfare of its inhabitants, its citizens and the people that reside within it uh, so that they can enjoy life as much as possible, provide security, health, and all this kind of stuff, material well-being, so that people can enjoy themselves. That's a welfare state. And if you think that we're not a welfare state, look at the way that we handled COVID. We didn't say, look, you're on your own. We didn't say, well, look, it's not our job to, to shut private industry down. It's not our job to do this. Our job is just to provide resources, but ultimately you have to make choices that are good for you. Communities have to make their own choices. No, the, the state came in, uh, state quote unquote, the government came in and told you exactly what you could and couldn't do. And we go, well, Mike, it was just, you don't understand, it was the pandemic. Exactly. But that's what a welfare state does. It says, look, this is so important. We're just going to tell you what you can and can't do. It's our job to get us through this. And quite frankly, to be fair on the other side, you know, I, I do not like, I should say, I do not like, I'm a totally opposed to the way that the state handled this. New York State, the federal government, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I can tell you if they didn't do that, there would be outrage over them not doing enough to save us. There would be outrage if they didn't come in and say, we're shutting stuff down, we're, we're shutting this down, we're demanding you wear masks, we're working on a vaccine and all this jazz. There would be outrage and there would be show trials as we speak. And these politicians would be led to their demise, not, you know, in America, it wouldn't be their physical demise, but it would be their political demise because they did not save us. They didn't do enough. How, how come you didn't know? How come you weren't prepared? How come you didn't do this? Well, why didn't you do that? A lot of Monday... Uh, a Monday morning quarterbacking uh, from Sunday's game. Everybody's, you know, an expert why they should have handled it this way. Well, of course it should have been that way. And these people would be crucified. I mean, that's just how it works. So on one hand, I'm saying, look, the welfare state um, assumes for itself a role that it, that it really shouldn't. That's what, I'm, that's what I believe. It should not assume that role. The, the, the government is not in charge of my well-being. It, 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 it does not decide how much breath I get to have, when I get to have it, and where I get to have it. That's God. That's just transgressing God's domain, in my opinion. I'm a free individual. I bear God's image. You don't get to tell me what I can and can't do, especially when it comes to things that are the morally acceptable. I need to take responsibility for my behavior. I need to be held accountable for my behavior. I need to behave in ways that are, that are considerate, loving, and kind, and good for our society. But at the end of the day, the state doesn't get to dictate to me dictate to me how I get to live or not. But at the same time, we would demand it from the state. 
we would demand it. And so you find yourself in the situation where you have a society that not only has a welfare state, but demands it. There's just an expectation. So what happens is when you go to the, you know, when you have a pastor that says you need to think about this in terms of the gospel before you make your choice and pick your candidates, because we're so inured to this idea that the government is there to take care of us, we never stop to ask, well, hold on a second. What is the, what should the role of the state be in a society? What is the role of a state in a society? What is the role of the state and where, where should those boundaries be drawn and, and, and on what criteria should they be drawn? Meaning at what point is the state overstepping its bounds and committing evil against individuals and human beings? What, what, at what point is it transgressing its authority? And, and in, when you ask that question, you, you get all kinds of answers. So for instance, I, I mentioned before I brought up Hegel. Uh, Hegel had this idea that the state really was God, that the state was the manifestation of God's will. Uh, that, that if you found yourself at odds with your government, it was, it, it, it was upon you to sacrifice, to lay down your desires in order that the, God's will could be done through the state. There's this collect, more collective idea, this collectivist idea. One of the reasons that, that Marx loved Hegel so much, I mean, really it's that Hegelian dialectic that Marx latched onto, but Hegel's thinking was more collectivistic. It was more totalitarian, meaning the government should be all in all. It should decide all things because it is this manifestation of God's will. Like if the, if the government wants something, that's what God wants. And, and that the state is the, is the prime driver through which um, mankind uh, achieves his, progresses towards his, uh, his best, best state of being. And that's on one side, very progressive, very leftist, very collectivist, very totalitarian. It's the, it's the us, it's not the I. It's the collective. It's subliminating your will to the power of the state. On the other side, you get anarchists. They're saying, I don't believe there should be any government. I'm against all government. I'm not just a libertarian. I'm an anarchist. Get rid of all government. Everyone should just be self-governed. Like, good luck with that. That, that, that doesn't work either. So you get these two extremes that, that are quite frankly ridiculous. They're, they're ridiculous. Now, unfortunately, the Hegelian model seems to be on the ascendant right now. It's, it's on the rise, and more and more people are embracing that concept. But when you talk to people in our society, and if you as a pastor, and again, I'm not, I wasn't there for this message, so I'm not you know, going after this guy, but just this concept of saying, you need to bring the gospel to bear on how you pull that lever. Well, even before you do that, you need to ask the question, what is the role of the state in the administration of God's kingdom on earth? What is the role of the state? What should be the role of the state in re re removing, uh, getting rid of poverty? What is the rule uh, or the role of the state in, in eliminating sickness and disease? What is the role of the state in making sure, um, you know, people can find the pleasure and happiness that they want, eliminating any type of sadness, depression, and so on? There's an assumption that, that the state is the one that should be dealing with this. And you go, well, Mike, if the state doesn't do it, who's going to do it? Well, well, I'm not even convinced we need to get rid of all of these things. Now, that's where people are like, well, hold on a second. Look, struggle is a good thing. Pain can be a good thing. Uh, disappointment can be a good thing. Hurts of certain kinds can be good for you. I, I'm sure if you're listening to this, your experience has been the same as mine. If you just take a moment and think about it, 
I've had disappointments. I've had failures. I've had hurts. I've had wrongs done to me. I've even had physical sicknesses and I've had, I've had debilitations, uh, uh, broken bones and things that have, that have limited me from uh, doing certain things throughout life. These things have actually, for as much as they've hurt and frustrated me and denied me things that I've wanted at the same time, have helped me become who I am today. That I couldn't be who I am without those things. And so when we approach life with this idea that we have to eliminate all pain, we have to eliminate all poverty, we have to eliminate all these setbacks and just you know take anything from the human experience that's bad and get rid of it so that people can have essentially what is utopia. They can have this utopia, this heaven on earth now. And we need the government to do that. Like when you approach life that way, of course, when the pastor says you need to vote Jesus-y, you're going to look at the candidates and think, who's the kindest? Who gives out the most stuff? Who's the most healthcare oriented? Who's the most love is love? You know, who's the one that wants to give everybody a big hug? You're not going to vote for a candidate that doesn't talk that way because in your mind, you're equating the gospel with really what is a secular version of heaven on earth. It is a transcendent less, a spiritual less, meaning it's devoid of anything transcendent, anything spiritual, anything deeper. It's just a material world utopia. It is a godless utopia. It's a technocratic, bureaucratic world in which we are creating this kind of perfect state. Well, what is that perfect state? I don't know that I want to just get a check from the government and play video games all day, but for someone else, to them, that is perfection. That's all they want. I want a world where I'm free to go after my goals, my desires, where I'm free to marry, to have children, to build a home, to build a life, to build a business, to fail in a business, to start another business, to go get a job working for somebody else. I want a world where I'm free to do those things. But in a utopia, you can't have that level of freedom because with those things, those risks come pain and hardships and failures, financial difficulties, headwinds, discouragements, disappointments. Uh, A welfare state is focused on getting rid of all that. And that's what a lot of these candidates base themselves on. And how are they going to do it? They're going to take someone else's resources and and redistribute them. They're going to be the arbiter of what's fair and good. Okay. I don't want to go too far because I I know, and look, you guys know I'm a conservative. So it's not like I'm, oh, I'm tipping my hand. No, I I think both sides are equally good. No, I don't think both sides are equally good. I got to tell you though, I'm not so thrilled with the Republicans. There's a lot of bullshit that comes out of the Republican party. So don't get me wrong here. I am not advocating uh, for one side over the other side. And I'm not trying to create a straw man argument where I just beat up the left and then go, but you know, the ones that come down from the heavens on wings of angels are your Republican candidates. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you, you know, I'm not doing that, but I want to help you think past some of the just lazy, simplistic thinking that, that passes for, for discipleship and teaching and wisdom in the world we live in today. So what do you do? What do you do? I mean, if, if you're not going to, if you're not going to just vote for the most Jesus-y candidate, and on the other hand, you don't want to go rah, rah, you know, um, you know, I'm a patriot, you know, MAGA country, shoot your guns up. And those things are cool. like, I, I, <laughs> I voted for Trump both times. So if you're a MAGA person getting offended, I don't really care. I voted for Trump both times. The first time I plugged my nose, I hated voting for him. I got to tell you, I did not like Donald Trump. 
The second time I thought, you know what? I got past the bombast and all that stuff. I voted for him to begin with. And I thought this guy, a lot of his policies were fantastic. The things he was trying to, the things he was trying to do were excellent. A lot of them, his personal style, the bombast, the nonsense. I, it was, it was exhausting. It's like, come on, knock it off. Uh, that said, I had to say I respected some of the things he was trying to do. I thought they were solid. You know, he was pushing back on China back when that was um, not not so popular. He was trying to work with Russia in certain ways. And if you look at the current Ukraine crisis, uh, not that you know everyone's like, well, yeah, he was in Putin's pocket. Honestly, he was trying to work with Russia and draw them in. Why do we always have to assume that they had him in his pocket, in their pocket? Uh, we've antagonized the left, the left being the liberal world, not just Democrats. The left has been antagonizing Russia. You look at this Ukraine thing. This is not such a simple good guy, bad guy. These are kind of two bad guys. Zelensky and Ukraine have been really bad. Ukraine's been really bad. They've got some Nazi elements, et cetera, et cetera. No one wants to hear it. Uh, I'm not pro-Russia on this one, but I got to tell you, I'm sympathetic to the Putin position on this and this Ukraine good, Russia bad story. It's not that simple. And I've got friends, I've got really great friends, a handful of guys that are Ukrainian. I love them. Uh, and, and I'm sympathetic. If you're in a country, and my, my Ukrainian friends are Americans, but my point being, if you're in a country and it's being invaded by an invader and there are things being blown up and people being displaced, that's horrible. I don't care. I don't. Those people did nothing wrong. We're talking about governments here. The Ukrainians are good people. The Russian people, good people. They've got governments. And I'm just saying, I think Trump, uh, under a Trump presidency, we probably would not see Russia invading Ukraine. That's my point. So where was I going with all this? Well, Mike, uh, I don't know. But, but, but when you see these two options and you're going to vote for the real Jesus-y guy, or you're going to go all MAGA, all in America, rah, rah. I don't think either of those really are a good example of how do you vote looking through the lens of the gospel. So here you go. How do you do it? We're 33 minutes in. I want to share with you my approach for doing this. And it's quite simple. And it goes back to the sense of being conservative. One of the fundamental kind of organizing ideas of classical conservatism, this this uh, Burkean, Ed, you know, um, Sir Edmund Burke, articulated some conservative principles back in the 1700s, is this idea that there is a king on the throne and we want to structure and order our societies uh, to respect that fact. Meaning, we want to structure and order our societies in a way that reflect the reality of Christ the King, his kingdom, God on the throne, and so on, the reality of a creator of the universe. Now, if, you're, if you don't believe in a creator of the universe, then you know, you've you, you got to look at this in a different way. You're going to go at this in a, maybe a more pragmatic, maybe a more data-driven, maybe a more technological science uh, approach. Those often lead to um, a lot of human suffering, uh, a la Soviet Union and communist China, which you know, embrace this idea of science uh, leading the way forward into the future. But at the same time, if you want to be a conservative and you want to be a Christian and you're trying to look at a way to, to cast your vote, to evaluate candidates, you need to look at candidates that are more aligned with the reality of God's kingdom. You, you, you need to find people that aren't just Jesus-y, meaning this idea of Jesus that we have. I think Jesus is a lot more complex than this, than this idea of just this meek and mild lamb. 
And, and you've got to find some candidates that align with the truth, capital T. So for instance, I think most sane people would agree that children are born with a level of innocence that we as individuals and as a society should work hard to protect. Most normal, rational people believe that children deserve to, to stay as innocent as they can. Not meaning that we have to upend everything and, and, you know, a man and a woman shouldn't hold hands as they walk down the street because we have to, you know, preserve the child's innocence. But, but there's a level of goodness and innocence that's worth protecting, that's worth guarding for a child so that they can mature into life in a way that's healthy and normal and good. And, when, and, th- and that when they do that, they tend to become more well-adjusted individuals. They become more productive, more fulfilled, healthy adults. So this is just one example. So, so if you understand that, that childhood is a good thing and that innocence is a key component of childhood and that the loss of innocence should happen at appropriate times, that, that we as individuals should be introduced to, to the deeper realities of life over time, that it's not good for a child to see a human being murdered in front of them. It's not good for a child to be introduced to sexuality uh, at an inappropriate time of their life when they're four years old, let's say, as an example. If good and decent people agree on that, then then that's an idea of how do you bring your society into order. If you look at our society now, we are coming, we're, we're spinning out of control from these things. And so when you go to the ballot box, you know, you're looking for candidates that are more aligned with what is true and good. True and good, not just Jesus-y, not just bleeding heart, not just feed the poor. How do you align your society along the lines of what is true and good? This could be your economics. This could be your education system. This could be the strength of your families. This could be uh, the freedom of religion and all these things. We're kind of stuck in this idea that democracy is is the fundamental concept that should rule at all times, meaning... If the majority votes for something, that's the way it should go. Well, sometimes the majority vote for things that are bad. And I think we as a society have to back up a little bit and go, are we really willing to just allow a vote to determine if a child is able and has the right to innocence? That's, I keep using child as an innocence as an example. Uh, uh, d- d- does an unborn child have the right to be born? Does a person have a right to find fulfilling work regardless of what their belief system is or what they've said, et cetera? Is an individual, um, should they be given access to finance and banking uh, resources if their opinions are not politically correct? Now, I understand, like, people say some horrendous things, and I'm not advocating for we should be able to say and do whatever we want. I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. But at the same time, we have to ask questions like, what, what leads to human thriving? What, how, how are we most whole? How are we most fulfilled? And, and can we build a society that, that facilitates that? 
And really, is that is that a government responsibility? So I think if you look at candidates that that actually say, no, look, government should not be doing everything. Family is important. And we as a society need to work harder to have healthy families. And as a candidate, I'm going to do everything I can to get the government out of families' pockets, to stop interfering with the way that they... Um, you know, manage and, and raise their families. We're not going to transgress authority and just say, no, these kids belong to us, not you. You know, we're going to support families and encourage behaviors that are positive for society, that have been positive for society for thousands and thousands of years. This one isn't one we have to rethink. Families have worked for millennia, but for some reason now we feel the need to just blow them up and reconfigure family into this new, bizarre, strange thing. Well, if you find a candidate saying no, like families work for millennia, and I think the government needs to get out of the family's way and just support them and encourage them and let them do what families do. Same thing for churches and mosques and synagogues. Same thing for private business owners. Same thing for private education and so on and so forth. Get the state out of everybody's way, support good behavior, get behind the healthy mediating institutions that we've been able to rely on for centuries in this country and millennia in human existence and experience. Let's try to align our society around the things that are good and true. I think that's the best way to vote your conscience in the sense uh, for a Christian. That's the best way is to find individuals who are more aligned with the truth of God's kingdom as opposed to candidates that promise to do good things. You know, there's this scripture verse, uh, uh, you know, Satan comes as an angel of light. It often looks like this angel of light, this good being that's going to enlighten and, and, and help everybody. Never does. And so as you're thinking about Tuesday coming up, it's just food for thought. I mean, you know, look, vote your conscience, vote what you think is right. But I want to challenge this idea that's out there that, you know, these kind of left-leaning uh, social programs, social justice, uh, economic justice, uh, equity people. I'm not convinced that what they're selling really does align with the gospel. Do I want minorities to get a fair shake? Absolutely. And I think most everyone I've met, and if you talk to them, most people will tell you, yeah, I want that. I want black folks and Hispanic folks and, you know, fill in any other blank folks. I want them to have a chance at the American dream. You know, do I want uh, children to go hungry. No, I don't want children. Nobody wants children to go hungry. You know, do, do I want people to be sick and dying in the gutter because they can't get health care? No. Most people want what's good for their neighbors. The reason that we're not seeing these things happening like we, we th- kind of think they used to is because we've destroyed the institutions of our society that align it more with the reality of God's kingdom and God's truth and and the gospel. Family has been destroyed. The neighborhood has been destroyed. Religious life has been destroyed. Civic life has been destroyed. Small business is under attack. Small business, private business ownership. I'm not talking about big corporations and all that nonsense, but small business is the last mediating institution and it's under the cross. It's in the crosshairs right now. I mean, government's coming after small business, trying to bring it to heel. 
In fact, small business didn't used to be an institution, but we've get, we're so impoverished at this stage that, that we're realizing that small business is an institution, a mediating institution. So these institutions that we have relied on for generations and, and centuries, really, that have delivered something good, a good, healthy society, we need to rebuild those. Yes, we need to be kinder. Yes, we need to be willing to embrace people that are different than us. Yes, we need to be gracious. Yes, we need to learn to not be self-centered, to not be selfish, to not just want to take. Yes, we need to learn to be chaste and not to abuse other people for our own pleasure. Yes, we need to not take advantage of folks to enrich ourselves. But at the same time, empowering the government to do something that we're supposed to do on our own empowering the government to take the place of family, empowering the government to take the place of neighborhoods, empowering the government to feed the poor, <laughs> to educate our children. It doesn't lead to a good human experience. It in fact does the opposite. It dehumanizes these governments when they become big and total, when they become a true welfare state presiding over every aspect of the human experience they're dehumanizing and they create human misery. So I would say to any pastor who's encouraging their congregation or any Christian who's even just thinking about this, that you need to vote uh, in a way that respects and takes into account the gospel. You need to vote for the candidates that are the most Christ-like. You have to ask yourself, what is it that Christ is really trying to do? What is it that Christ is trying to do? What is his goal and mission? His goal and mission is to restore all of creation back to the Father. And, and he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He presides over all of creation with authority and power and wisdom. Yes, when he walked this earth, he fed the poor and healed the sick. He demonstrated that power, his ability to do that. We should look to do that in our own lives, but let's not hand over our responsibility to be Christ-like to the state, assuming that the state will do a good job with that. Guys, I hope this is useful. If you found it useful, do me a favor, shoot me a note. If you agree, if you disagree, you think I'm an idiot, you think I'm the greatest thinker uh, since Einstein, <laughs> send me an email. You can get me at mike at mikegaston.com. And if you haven't done so already, sign up for my uh, free email list. Uh, you can do that on my website. Just go to mikegaston.com. There's a sign-up form at the top. Uh, I'll send you some fun, informative emails on a quasi-regular basis. I go in fits and spurts. And, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about my premium newsletter as well from time to time. So get on that list. Enjoy the, enjoy the fun and uh, stay up to date. Guys, I love you all. I really do. Thanks for your time. And I'll talk to you all in the next episode. Cheers.